If you are able, I would invite you to stand as we now hear the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went to shore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves. And he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were filled And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Lord Jesus, we do praise you. We thank you for this incredible story, for your life and for your witness, for the way in which you reveal to us God And you reveal to us what it means to be human. And so, Lord Jesus, we look to you today and ask that you would guide us and that you would teach us. We pray this in your name, along with the Father and the Spirit, who forever as one God is worshiped and glorified. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been with us the last few weeks, really the last few months, you know that for about two months now, we have set with a study called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. We spent about eight weeks in that together as a church family across three locations and was a really wonderful, fruitful, rich time. And today we shift back into our lectionary rhythm where we read the Bible with Christians literally around the world. And specifically, we're going to spend some time in the gospel accounts today and really for the next few months will largely be centered in Matthew's gospel. And yet, I believe you will quickly see similar themes begin to emerge because in that EHS study, what Pete Scazzaro does so powerfully, so beautifully, and yet so simply, is he roots us in the witness of Jesus. And he says, how do we look to Jesus and there find our example? How do we there find the way in which you and I are also meant to live? And so if you hear things that feel similar, that seem like themes we've already been sitting with over the summer, it's for good reason. It's because those are being pulled and drawn from the life of Christ as we encounter him in the gospels. And today really is no exception. And what I want us to do today for the few minutes that we have, what I want us to do is to look first and foremost at the life of Christ himself, rather than jumping straight to application saying, here's a few things you can do this week. What is always wise when we approach the gospels is to say, what do we see Jesus doing? How does Jesus reveal God the Father to us? And only then should we begin to say, how are we then meant to live? If we first see Jesus clearly, then we actually have the clarity we need 
to begin answering those questions on how you and I are best to live. And so as we do that, let's dive in now to this beautiful story, this very, in some ways, familiar story. And what I want us to do, there's, there's countless things we could pull out, countless ways we could draw out themes from this text. One of the richest passages in the gospels. For good reason, this is a well-known story. I just want us to focus on three things in the few minutes that we have today. First point is this. Jesus had a private life with God. It's the first thing I see when I read this story. Jesus had a private life with God. Now, if you've been around church any amount of time, you've likely heard preachers hundreds of times say some version of this. Anytime you read the Bible and you see a passage that begins with words like now or therefore or afterward, you should always go and figure out what the now means, what the therefore means. Context is king, especially when we only read limited sections of scripture. We need to actually say what came before, especially what came before that helps us understand where we are right here and now. And so what what is causing Jesus to say now when he heard this? What is causing him to go off and be alone in a boat in a desolate place? Might those things be related? The reason he's doing this now, could it be related to what just happened? And of course, the answer is yes. And if you have a Bible, and if you look at the paragraph just before where our reading began, you see another very familiar, well-known story where we have Herodias demanding the head of John the Baptist on a platter and Herod to save public face. You have Herod uh, giving into that demand, giving into that request. And so delivering John's head on a platter and Jesus now hears of this. And so the encounter we have with Jesus going alone and into a desolate place is entirely in response to what he's just heard, this news that he's just heard of his beloved family member, of, his, of the one who paved the way, this forerunner of the Messiah, this John the Baptist who, who is so central to the gospel story. Jesus hears of this, his beloved dear friend, and Jesus grieves. Jesus' time alone in this desolate place is born out of his grief. He's taking time to grieve the death of a family member. He's getting away from distractions. He's not pretending that this isn't painful to him. He's not pretending this isn't a hard place to be. He's actually going to deal with that, to, to encounter it head on and to offer that really to the Lord. And that's where I think we gain some input and some example that we can then begin to follow. For us as well, what do we do when we're in a similar position? Uh, and really even more fundamentally, do you and I have a private life with God? Do we have a space when the burdens of life, when the cares and concerns of this world press upon us, when we hear news that shatters our world, do we have a private life with God to where we know with confidence we can go into that private place? How do you handle your grief and your loss and your frustration? What do you do? Do you press it down, pretend it's not there, bottle it up and just hope it goes away? Do you do the opposite? Do you air it out for the world to see? Let everyone know just how angry you are or just how hurt or betrayed you are or are you able to be alone with God? This is a question to think on today, a question for us to sit with. What do you do when you're in a rough place? Ask yourself that question sincerely and honestly. What do you do when you're in a rough place? I imagine 
In some ways, it's different probably for each one of us. And yet there are things that we all share, things that we have in common. When we're in a rough place, we all likely turn to forms of escape. We eat more, we drink more, we Instagram more. We find ways to be distracted, to escape from that pain, to escape from that anger or that fear of the unknown, whatever it may be. We just, we just don't wanna deal with it. And yet that's not what we see in Jesus at all today. In Matthew 14, what I think we see is Jesus actually confronting it head on. When it says that he went to a desolate place, this is how I understand it. It's not desolate as though it's the absence of God. I think desolate for Jesus is he goes to be freed from the distraction so he can focus fully on our Lord. And I think you and I must see it the same way to actually tend to that anger, to tend to that fear, whatever it is that you're facing. In my prayer life, in your prayer life, we have to have desolate places, not places uh, that are absent from God, but places that are free from the countless distractions that so often creep in, the countless ways that I know I am tempted to avoid being with God. And if I could be honest, just a, a simple example, it's one of the reasons I resist reading the Bible on my phone. Uh, for you, you may have found a way to do that, a rhythm to do that. That's really uh, wonderful and life-giving and, and thanks be to God, that's great. Uh, for me, my phone is not a desolate place in this way of understanding. For me, my phone is a source of countless distractions. And so if I say I'm going to find time to be with God and invite in all of these other distractions, I, my, I find my heart and my mind are not settled. They're not singular in their focus. That's what I hear in Jesus's example. He's singular in his focus. For him, this desolate place is a place where he can be singularly focused on God. And yet for me, for example, if I turn on my phone and try and be with God there, I find my email creeps in and my calendar creeps in and the Times creeps in and the Wall Street Journal creeps in. On and on and on I could go. It's not a place for me to actually be settled and centered. And that's just me. I'm not, I'm not making a declarative statement on technology. I'm talking to you through a screen for crying out loud. Um, They have their place and there's even a blessing to it. But hear the heart of what I'm saying. The point is, think about the things that keep you from a singular focus on God, especially when you're in a rough place, especially when you find yourself hurting and confused and grieving. Have a way to be singular in your focus with the Lord. I've quoted this book before, but I'll just mention it again. A book called An Unhurried Life by a man called Alan Fadling. He's actually a, a member of our diocese. He's a part of a sister church in California. It's a really great book, but in there, he just asks this simple but profound question. He says, what would happen if our following Jesus included his habit of withdrawing often to give the father his full attention? Again, what would happen if our following Jesus included his habit of withdrawing often to give the father his full attention? This is why we have spent weeks and weeks now banging the drum for a rule of life because the rule of life helps you cultivate this way of being, helps you actually carve out space to live an undistracted, unhurried life with God where you give the Lord your full, undivided, complete attention. 
And here's one of the reasons this is so significant. When we do that, we actually do business with our heart and soul. We settle the things that cause us to be distracted. We settle and come to a place of peace over the things that otherwise might derail us from mission, derail us from the very life of God that might actually keep us navel gazing and inward focused when God wants us to be turned outwards. And that's what I also believe we see in the life of Jesus today. So second point is Jesus's grief does not shut him off from the needs of others. Jesus's grief does not shut him off from the needs of others. In fact, because he goes to this desolate place, he goes and does business with God, we could say, he's actually now at a place where he can be mindful of the needs of the crowd and turn to them with compassion. That's what you see in verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. This is what Jesus does best. Jesus, time and time again, enters into chaotic places, into broken places, and he speaks the life of God. He speaks the peace of God over these people and these places. But that public-facing public ministry side of Jesus, we might say, is not in any way unrelated to what we've just talked about. That ability of Jesus to go off in isolation, to be alone with God in that private, quiet place. And as I sit with these words here today, I think Jesus shows us how to hold these together, to at the same time, be a part of the coming kingdom of God, to see the world renewed and restored all around us. And yet at the very same time, he gives us a picture of an abiding life with God and helps us see these are actually meant to go together. These are not unrelated in any way at all. And when we heal and when we spend time with God, it actually helps us be present to the world around us. It's so easy for us to be consumed by our struggles. And yet Jesus wants his followers to join him. He wants us to participate in his mission. That's what we see in this interaction today. That's why he says in verse 16 to the disciples, he says, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. That is Jesus inviting them into this way of life that is focused on the life of others, focused on the coming of his kingdom, where we are so filled with the life of God that we are actually useful in his kingdom. This is what he invites them into. I'm sure it confused them. Let's be honest, I'm sure it confused them. They're probably scratching their heads a bit and saying, how exactly are we meant to feed them? It's one of those moments where they come face to face with the upside down nature of God's kingdom, where abundance comes from scarcity, where life comes from death. And yet they literally are scratching their heads wondering, but how? They don't have the luxury that we do of 2000 plus years of thinking on this story, uh, sitting with it and thinking, theologically reflecting on it. No, for them, this is an immediate reality. These are people in need in front of them in this very moment, this very uh, pressing need. And they're saying, how in the world do we uh, enter into this? What, what are we meant to do, Jesus? They say in verse 17, we, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And I think that turn, that shift in our narrative today is the third point I want us to sit with. This third and final point. I think we see Jesus blesses and multiplies even the weakest of our efforts. Third today, Jesus blesses and multiplies even the weakest of our efforts, which is really good news for us, isn't it? Uh, Jesus is not asking us in and of our own strength to do a miracle. He's asking us to believe that he is who he says that he is. There's a beautiful thing in this story that Jesus doesn't need 
the disciples. He doesn't need this interaction. He could have just as easily uh, multiplied and fed and provided for this crowd in and of himself. And yet this is the pattern of the life of Jesus. He invites others to join him in the work that he's doing. And that is true today, just as it was then. The life of Jesus is always invitational. He's not demanding, he's not coercing. For us to follow him is always something that we have the freedom to respond to, to say yes or to say no. When he says, bring them here to me, I do not think it is a command as much as it is an invitation. Now, of course, Jesus can command things and people. Jesus commands the wind and the waves to be still. And yet the pattern in Jesus's life, the pattern in Jesus's ministry is when he sees people, he moves towards them with compassion and invites them. He lays it out before them and says, would you like to come and join me? I think of the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler who's just a few chapters ahead in Matthew 19, where he says to him in the form of an invitation, he says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. It's an invitation. It's not a command. The very next chapter, you see the same thing in Matthew 20, these blind men asking Jesus for the mercy of God. He does not give them a command. He gives them a question. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Begin to see this pattern in the life of Jesus. He longs for you and for me to join him in the work that he's doing, but it's always an invitation. He wants our heart. And even when we have very little to give, he still invites us in. And he says, uh, can you trust me enough to bring the little that you have and to offer it and see what I'm able to do? I think that's really the heart of this text today. He says, can you, can you bring me what you have? Can you give me what you've got? There's a really profound lesson for us in that as well. Uh, what happens when we bring our weak and simple offering and what happens when that simple offering is met with the goodness of God, with the power of God. You see the abundant feast that unfolds. That's why we're still talking about this story 2000 years later. And so as we wrap up, there's, there's two ways I'd really want us to, to sit with that, for that to drive uh, home for us today. On the one hand, I think this story, these final words that Jesus speaks are words that he does speak to us. He speaks it over us. He's not asking you and me to be super Christians who fast every single day, who read your Bible nine hours a day, who then turns around and serves the poor another nine hours a day and sleep a couple hours at night and do it over and over and over again. No, he's saying, can you just bring me what you have? That's not neglecting our life with Christ. It's not saying that it's an excuse for an inattentive faith, but it is saying it's okay to say, even in my weakness and in my frailty, the beauty of the life of God is that my weak faith, yet my sincere faith, as I bring it to Jesus, when it's met with the power of God in Jesus Christ, it is transformative. It is the abundant life that the scriptures talk about time and time again. And that's good news for you and me today, that we are able in our frailty and our weakness to bring what we have to Jesus and say, Jesus, is this something you can work with? I think especially in this moment, that's really good news because we're all fighting a hard battle. We're all in a, in a difficult place. It's been a hard season. Whatever the last six months has looked like for you, it's been hard. In some way, you can resonate with these words today and say, yeah, I've, I've found myself needing alone, quiet space with God. I found myself struggling to care for the needs of others because I'm so consumed by my own insecurity, my own uh, financial loss, my own job loss, my own uh, grief of the loss of health or even the death of loved ones, whatever it may be for you, it's been a hard season. 
And Jesus is saying, that's okay. It's not, not just that it's okay, but that's how it's meant to be, that you don't have to hide your weakness or your frailty, but just like these disciples who have a few fish and a few loaves of bread, if that's all you have, that's, that's more than enough because Jesus meets that with his abundant power and mercy and love and he provides a feast. And so that's good news for us today. Second point, and we'll close with this. It also invites us, like I said at the very beginning, to respond like Jesus towards others. And so when Jesus sees people who are weak and frail, he does not shame them, but he encourages them and blesses them and draws faith out of them. And so how can you and I do the same for others? There are people in our lives who you and I have an invitation and an opportunity to bless. People that you and I can speak encouragement over. People whose faith Faith may be weak and hanging on by a thread. How can you bless them in the name of Jesus? I think that is an invitation to you and to me today. And so as we sit with these words, let's now take them to our Lord in prayer. As we shift our time together into a focus on prayer, but first let me offer a prayer for us and then we will continue. Father, we do thank you for these words. We thank you for Jesus, the way in which he invites us in our weakness and our frailty into the life of your kingdom. And so let that be true for us today as these words bless and encourage us. May they also turn us outward and help us be an encouragement to others. May we be a blessing just as we receive the blessing of your son. We pray in Jesus' mighty name, amen.